The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Haley Hubbard, mom to three and wife to a country music star. And I'm Jess Diamond, registered dietitian nutritionist and mom to one. And this is Meaningful Living, a community to make parenting and life a little easier and a lot less lonely. Every week, we talk to experts, parents, and answer your questions to share the practical tips and real side of parenting we all need. Because when you remove the doubt, fear, and stress from everyday decisions, you create more time for the meaningful moments. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. Well, Dr. Gadir, I'm so excited that you're here with us today. We're, it's wrapping up National Infertility Awareness Week. And this week, I actually opened up all about my own journey. And for those of you that don't know the story, I'm sure a lot of you do know now, but January 2020, I was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma. And at that time, I was still breastfeeding Bryce. It really came, Bryce, who's my son, who was about a little over one then, and it came out of nowhere. When I was diagnosed, my husband basically told me before I got the diagnosis that he thought I had cancer. And I actually thought he was going to say like, oh, you're back. You just need a little more physical therapy, or maybe you're pregnant or something like that. I had no clue it was coming. And so I... Obviously, once I found out I was diagnosed, I stopped breastfeeding right away. I actually remember having like a drain coming out of my heart, taking fluid out of my heart and weaning breastfeeding the same time in the hospital. And, you know, so I was told you have cancer, which is a shocker, but pretty close after that point, I was told, and your eggs may not make it through chemotherapy. They likely won't make it through. And... I really held it together when I was told that I had cancer. But when I was told that I may never have a baby again, that was just the moment I fully broke down. It was really, really hard. And I hadn't frozen my eggs before that, obviously, but there was never kind of this moment too. I was married. I had a baby. I was, you know, I was planning mommy and me's and when was kind of the ideal time to have baby number two. And then all of a sudden I'm told you have cancer and your eggs may never survive. And so I really wanted to freeze my eggs before starting chemo. And they told me that that wasn't a possibility. And I remember just breaking down to my husband. And so my husband called your office and spoke to kind of these top REI specialists across the country. And the cancer was too advanced. There was no time to be able to do this. Dr. Gadir, you'll probably know, but I was in cardiac tamponade at the time and I had SVC syndrome. So they said, you need to start chemo. And so they put me on Lupron, which is a drug that puts you into menopause. And with there wasn't really actually any research in that about my condition. It was it was not with lymphoma, but there was some evidence in breast cancer that it kind of helps preserve the eggs during chemotherapy. And so I went on Lupron and next day I started chemo and that was my journey. And I think one of the biggest regrets I had during it was that I never froze my eggs earlier. So I want to talk about egg freezing, but also that there are no two journeys of infertility that are the same. Like what I've learned is there are no two journeys that are the same, but there's so much commonality in the questions that we have. And when I went through that two years ago at the start of it, I really wish that I knew more about IVF and egg freezing and all of this stuff so that I wasn't learning it in the moment when either it was too late or in the moment when I was struggling. So today we really want to pick your brain on kind of Infertility 101, IVF, and all of all of that good stuff. And so we are really, really excited to have you here. 
Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to discussing and bringing a lot of things to your audience's attention. I think education in my field is so lacking. And that's one thing that I have promised myself to do is educate as much as I can. And starting my podcast was also a big part of that as well. So thank you so much for having me here today. Of course, of course. So I think the best place to start is that it feels, I don't know if there's more people struggling with infertility or just for questions about fertility more than ever, or if it's just that we're talking about it a little more, still not enough, but maybe a little more. But how do you know when is the best time to reach out to a professional, right? Sometimes it takes a while to start to get pregnant. And so when should we reach out? When do you know that there's a problem? When should someone reach out to someone like you? The sooner is the better. The American Society of Reproductive Medicine has helped us formulate some definitions. If you are under the age of 35 and you've been challenging with fertility for over one year, by definition, you have the diagnosis of infertility. And if you are over the age of 35, then it's six months and then you have the definition. Um, I love that they put textbook uh, definitions out there, but these don't really correlate for me in many ways. If you are 24 years old and have PCOS and don't get periods, well, there is zero reason to even wait one day. You need to talk to a fertility specialist about how to ovulate, how to get menstrual cycles to become regular, and how to be able to proceed with your goal of achieving a family. And the same thing, if you are you know, 38 years old and met Mr. Wright a little later in life and want to start a family, but you want to have four kids, there's no reason to even try for one day without talking to a fertility specialist, because if you don't preserve something for the future, it's going to be a disaster. You know, one thing that you said, there are so many women in your shoes that I would tell them before you started to even have baby number one, what is your overall goal? So we have now gotten the word beginning to flow about egg freezing. You're single, you're turning, you're in your thirties. You should start thinking about it. I tell everyone that. But there are many women that think because they have a partner and they have someone else in their life, then they don't have to think about that anymore because you have a partner. But what do you do when you're a beautifully married couple, got married at 35, you want to have three, four kids, and you're starting at like 37 to have number one. So you deliver at 38 and you start thinking about number two at like 40 something when you have had the major decline in fertility. So these are things that I think need to be spoken more to. And it's, I think a lot of this falls also on the plate of an OBGYN because we all know it's very difficult to be an OBGYN. You're seeing like 30 patients a day. People are coming in, people are going out, you rush off to do a delivery. You know, the last thing you have the opportunity to do is sit there and be like, so tell me what your goals of how many kids you want to have and where are you in your relationships? And what are your, when you try, these are things that are take like literally discussions that in my industry, I have the opportunity of talking because I do consultations that are one hour long. And I go over everything from A to Z and I take my time and I make sure that I just keep asking, do you have more questions? Do you have more questions? I want everyone to leave my consultation knowing everything they were unsure of and what to do next. So the fact that infertility is becoming more and more prominent in the world, it's not just our country, but in the world is huge. In many cultures, like our culture, women are becoming professionals just like men. And it's difficult in some professions to be popping up babies and trying to grow a family at the same time. And I commend women for being able to do so. My female partners at my office, all of them who have children, I don't know how they do it. 
but they do it. So it's very difficult and challenging and has to be thoughtful and thought out well before trying to attempt that. People are talking much more about fertility now. There is no stigma like there was 18 years ago when I started. You know, I had people that were like, don't, don't tell anyone, you know, please don't ever tell anyone. I don't talk about anyone to, ever, but now I don't get that. Like I told all my friends, I'm, you know, we see people following on my social media and sometimes we follow back and we see that they're putting it all over their social channels and they're tagging me on it. You know, I, I commend people that are being open about it because I don't think there's anything to lose. And I think there's so much to gain from this process of being open about teaching so many other people from what you've learned. Completely. I mean, even in just in the past week since I put out the article of what this journey has been, I can't tell you how many people are like, I just, I didn't know anyone else was going through this situation or that they felt the same way. Or I, I just thank you for being vulnerable. It makes me feel so much less alone. I've been struggling with this for three years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. And so there can't be enough education and there can't be enough awareness around it. 100%. 100%. As any mom can tell you, diaper changes are part of our daily lives. I spend a lot of time, I mean a lot of time, changing diapers, thinking about diapers, checking on diapers, you name it. Which is why we are so excited to partner with Pampers. Your baby's skin is so delicate and you want to make sure you're protecting it by keeping it dry and healthy. Well, I cannot recommend Pampers Swathers enough. They're absorbent even for overnight wear. Yay for no middle of the night leaks, which is so key. I mean, we all want one less mess and more sleep. And with their amazing absorbency, pamper swaddlers, wick away wetness and mess to help protect your baby's skin and keep your little ones feeling dry and happy. Keeping your baby's skin healthy requires a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet and pampers gives you that trusted protection. Pamper swaddlers have been a game changer for us. The absorbency means healthy skin and less diapers overall, which is just a win-win. Once you try them, you'll see why Pampers are the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Whether you're a mom of three or a mom-to-be, you'll love how Pampers keeps your baby or toddler dry and comfortable. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diaper and wipes purchase. You will love them. Have you been looking for a place to talk all things parenting? And I'm not talking about who makes the best stroller, but the really important stuff like how to be a better and more connected parent or how to raise children with empathy. Well, you are in the right place, folks. My name is Brandi Jordan, and I am a doula and parenting expert. And this is my show, Dear Doula. I will be giving you practical and impactful tips to parent with more joy, more calm, and more ease. I will also be talking to parents and experts who will be helping us to reimagine what it looks like to nurture ourselves and parent in more gentle and mindful ways. I am so excited to be in community with all of you. Can't wait to hear from you. I guess I want to know, like, where does someone start to find a doctor? So I guess, Dr. Gadir, I'll just start out by saying I've got three kids. I feel so lucky and blessed because it, they were kind of happy accidents, very back to back. It didn't feel... <laughs> It felt overwhelming at the time, but I, I'm so grateful now and grateful that that it seemed very simple. And now that I'm I'm talking to friends and talking to different women and families that are going through infertility, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea. 
And so I feel like I'm just now learning about this and and I have lots of friends and I know lots of people that are looking for doctors in their area. And they're like, I feel like in our area, we live in Nashville and I'm not saying this is all doctors here, but there it seems to be a trend that they have a hard time finding doctors with quote, like good bedside manner. And it, so I kind of want to know, like, where do people even start finding someone? Like, do they search outside their area? Do you know where, where I can, where I can point them in the right direction? It's such a great question because sadly there are many areas of the USA and the top countries in the world that are lacking you know, there are a couple States that don't even have one fertility doctor. So, which is shocking to me, lots of people that go through this entire path to get to fertility, you know, they want to live in the bigger cities and they don't want to live in the smaller towns, you know, setting up an IVF lab that is excellent is very, very costly. So if you're a solo practitioner or two doctors setting up a lab like we have, where all of UCLA comes to all of Cedar sinai comes to, there's 29 other doctors in the community that use our IVF lab. We have different things available to us, obviously, to build one of the state-of-the-art, most advanced labs in the world. So we're very lucky. So it's difficult. I think that people have choices. If you are in a city that has more than one doctor, keep trying until you find the one that you have a bond with. I think that the doctor's team is also really important. You know, I am very blessed right now that I have three of the best clinical coordinators that sit right outside my door. When I open the door, they know already what I'm going to say. Like they know exactly what I'm going to do. And they are so thoughtful. And I hear how they talk to my patients. And I just hear the things they do. Like my nurse didn't have to call her to see how she's doing just because. And I'm like, how come you called her? She's like, I just wanted to see if she's okay. I just, I, I just melt. Oh. I just, you know, I think it's difficult. And I have a lot of patients that travel to see me from around the country. So it's telling me that people are not happy with the doctors in their hometown. People are willing to travel to go to the best of the best. And I like to think that we are at the top of our game in the country. We used to have 30% of our practice was people coming from other countries to our practice, which during the pandemic has gone down significantly, but it's difficult. And I think some of the questions you need to ask is, do I like this doctor? Can I see myself working with this doctor for the next few months and their team? Are they responsive to my needs? Do they care about me? I think those are really important things. It is not the end of the world to have to travel to do fertility treatment these days. With Airbnb and with everything that's available for us right now, it's doable. And I have people that fly in all the time. So many people working from their laptop, no matter where they are in the country, has allowed them to be able to be more mobile and find top clinics. But questions to ask, what are the success rates? You know, walk me through this process. Make sure you understand. Do they return my calls? Do I get my questions answered? You know, these are really important things. And then you can look at the American Society of Reproductive Medicine website and also the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technologies. It's called SART, S-A-R-T, for success rates. I will be honest, there's, you know, talk that not every clinic has the exact most accurate results of theirs presented there, but you take this all together. I'm not a huge fan of reviews because I've gotten some crazy ones that I have absolutely no idea where they're from. And I've gotten some crazy ones that came from truly crazy people that crossed my path. 
But in general, if you read them, most of them, you get to get a good idea about someone as well. You get to really understand which ones sound real and which ones don't, which ones name people that work in the clinic and which ones don't. So there's things that you get to learn from reading these things as well. So I think you have to do all of that. One of the things that's really worked well for me in my practice, and people are telling me, the podcast that I do, The Fertile Life, and my Instagram page, and the Facebook page, and the TikTok, I wasn't a huge fan of all these things at all, I would be very honest, but now I'm a huge fan. Because when I have someone call me and tell me, I really liked how you answer these questions, or I really like how you address these needs of people, and I really like the fact that you care about emotional well-being and how I'm going to be feeling during this process, I've learned more about you. And I think these people know so much more about me before they even come into the door. And it allows you to pick a doctor that you're really going to feel more comfortable with. That was a long right. answer. I'm sorry. But I think finding a, fertil- a good fertility doctor is so complicated. I can imagine. And then you mentioned the success rates and asking about that. And, you know, I have, I know people that are 40, early 40s, and they're really wanting to have a baby. And they're like, I feel like I'm getting turned down from places because they want those high success rates and they're, they don't see those high success rates in me. And so I, I can only imagine how frustrating it is. So we don't have a, we do not have any kind of protocol that turns anyone away. I've never had this. None of my partners have this. We are there to help people. And we love our statistics of looking good and having a high success rate. But this does not mean we ever turn anyone away at all. So I have yeah. had patients. So there are a lot of clinics that don't take people over 40 or they're over 42 or whatever it may be. I've had amazing success rates in 44-year-olds. You know, we've had excellent That's success amazing. rates you know, with patients using egg donation at the age of 46. Now, we're very careful, the protocols of making sure you're healthy, that you have no other issues that could complicate the number of clearances and mammograms and cardiologist visits and everything else we do are extensive. But we have had successful Mm -hmm. people over certain ages. And they told me the last clinic I called wouldn't even let me do a consult because I was too old. Wow. Oh, well, I'm glad there's places like yours around. Something else I wanted to ask is because you're around this all day, every day, I want to know how you talk about miscarriages and infertility with friends. I feel like I want to check in on friends that I know are struggling with this and sometimes don't know exactly how to be a supportive friend, but I want to be. Is there anything that you would recommend doing to comfort a friend during those times? I love that you asked me that question because the way I used to deal with this changed significantly in my own life. So I have four kids. First one, super easy. Had a beautiful kid. We're like, let's have kids close together. We want to have a big family. Got pregnant again. And then it led to a miscarriage close to like almost 10 weeks. And Mm. I got to say, I used to tell patients, oh, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. We're going to do this and that. We're going to move on. And I'm like, what was I saying? It became such an emotional thing for myself and for my wife. We moved on quickly and I knew the science behind it and I knew that things were going to be okay, but it has changed how I react to it and what I tell people to say. And by the way, it is so much more common than anyone knows because there's still tons of people that don't ever talk about it. Once you announce you had a miscarriage to someone like, oh, I had one too. My sister had one too. My brother, I just, people are just talking about it left and right. But I think that Letting someone know with a text message, a phone call, a little something you send to them that you're there and you are there and if they need anything at all, whether they take you up on it or they just get your message, I think goes a really, really long way. 
hundred percent. I could not agree with that more. I mean, I get that question about so many things all the time. Like what I have someone that was just diagnosed with cancer. What do I say? I have someone that just had a miscarriage. What do I say? And I, I echo exactly what you said, which is, I love you. I'm here for you. Whatever you need. Can I do, you know, can I drop off a meal? Whatever you need, I'm here. Just, just knowing that someone's Mm -hmm. there is all anyone ever needs when they're through that, because you just feel like you're so much less alone. This is the perfect episode to talk to you about ritual because as Dr. Gadir says, the vitamins and food we put in our body is critical for fertility and beyond. We like to consider ourselves vitamin enthusiasts over here and absolutely love finding vitamins with ingredients we trust. And if you've been following us online, you already know how much we love ritual vitamins. Gaps in our diet shouldn't be ignored. I'll tell you these statistics again because they blow my mind each time. Did you know that over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet and that 95% are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Ritual's here to help. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Up multivitamin was formulated by lots and lots of research to help fill in nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 and up. It not only supports brain health, but also bone health, blood health, and provides antioxidant support. And it's perfect if you're looking into boosting your vitamin D levels. In a clinical trial, it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. I've been taking Ritual for years now, and I'm a huge fan. It's a vitamin I take every single day, and it doesn't upset my stomach. I love knowing that I'm doing something each day to improve my overall nutrition. And if Jess tells me to take it, I know there must be something special about the ingredients. It's all about the small things we can do daily so we can stay our best selves. And I almost forgot the best part. Right now, Ritual's offering our listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com living and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com living. Are you ready to get your best night's sleep? Well, listen up because I am so excited to tell you about Cozy Earth. Well, people from luxurious bedding to loungewear, Cozy Earth has absolutely everything you need for your most comfortable sleep ever, which let's be honest, we all deserve, every mom deserves, even though we may not always get it. Made from ultra soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics, Cozy Earth is literally softer than cotton. I cannot tell you how soft their products are if you just need to feel them. Plus, it's temperature regulating, which is huge in our household, so it's sure to keep you cool and comfortable all night long. I am completely obsessed with their entire collection. Their pajama sets are my go-to gifts right now. And seriously, once you feel this material, you will know you found a complete game changer. Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorite list for four years in a row, so you know it's got to be fantastic, which makes it pretty darn special, and you know it's got to be fantastic. What we love even more is that Cozy Earth is made with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from Earth. They even have a 10-year warranty on all of their products, and they offer a 100-night sleep test, which means you can try it out for 100 nights, and if you don't absolutely love it, you can send it back for a full refund. But trust us, you will love it. And Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for Meaningful Living listeners today. Take 35% off site-wide when you use code LIVING 
That's 35% off site-wide when you use code LIVING. Their products are heavenly and cannot wait to hear how much you guys are loving this one. Are there ways for optimizing fertility? Like, do you have a favorite prenatal? And what kind of things would you recommend to optimize fertility? Absolutely. There are a lot of things people can do to optimize their fertility. I have this new patient folder that I either hand to patients when they're there or we mail to people, which has like a couple pages of things to do to optimize. But I think number one, even before you call me, you got to look at your weight and your lifestyle. So there is lots of research that has shown that as your weight goes up, your fertility goes down. And I know how challenging it is. I'm dying to lose five pounds and have the hardest time. So I know how difficult it is, but there are diets out there. There are programs out there. There are home delivery programs of meals. There's a lot of things these days that were much more difficult before that are available. So you have to become very proactive in terms of your weight and also the, what you put into your mouth. I, I'm a huge proponent of the Mediterranean diet. So whether it's a dietetic version of the Mediterranean diet, where you eat fish and grilled foods and vegetables and salads and you know some healthy things like avocados and olive oil and all of those things, whether it's that or just maintaining a normal diet, I think it's a very well-balanced diet to be healthy. Lots of research in the world, and you would know this, Jessica, because this is all you do, but what you put in you is what comes out of you. And research has shown that people in the Mediterranean parts of the world live a lot longer than other areas of the world. So I think it's really important. Also, our environment. Um, our environment seems to be taking a larger and larger toll on us. So what goes into your body? I recently went to a lecture I'm part of an organization called YPO and the founder of the beauty counter, which I didn't really know what it was, spoke. And they have a list that's like the never to touch anything with those chemicals in it. And I think it's really impossible to follow every single thing of it. But if you go to their website, they have it there. And it's important to make sure like you are not still using a deodorant with aluminum in it. And you are still not eating foods that have so many preservatives on them that you can't even, you don't even know what they are. Or expiration dates on things are not a good sign. So these are all kind of things like little hints, but trying to be as natural as possible in this day and age is also very challenging, but I think really, really important to do. Mm-hmm. Also, excessive heat. I think anything in excess is not good for you, but excessive heat for men is really bad. For women, it's not that good. Smoking, horrible for men and women. I would be very careful with vaping and also weed and everything else that's kind of thinking to be more acceptable and healthier, which it really is not for when it comes to your fertility, that is. I'm so glad you said that because I I also wanted to ask, like, what can men do? Because we focus so much on what women can do and we focus on the woman, but actually I'm sure there's things that men can do. Men can do a lot. And every single day we see that more and more men, their fertility is going down. There are national studies that have shown that sperm counts and sperm motility have reduced over the last generation significantly. Again, the same thing for chemicals, excessive heat like steam rooms, saunas, jacuzzis, not good for men. There's a reason that the male anatomy has testicles outside the body to keep them cooler. So don't do things to heat them up. That's one thing. Also mm. super tight underwear, like the Calvin Klein model is wearing a underwear that is way too tight, okay? 
you know, trying to just let things breathe, especially at nighttime, you know, wearing like cotton boxers or shorts or pajama pants and let things breathe a little bit more is better for you. And also the diet. Men who are overweight have extra adipose tissue. Adipose tissue, which is fat on the body, becomes more estrogen. Estrogen is not good for sperm. Testosterone is. But at the same time, we are not a proponent of giving anyone testosterone therapy because your sperm count will go to zero. So natural testosterone is built from muscle mass, from weightlifting activities that build your own natural muscle. It also increases your metabolism, which is also really good for you. And these are things that people should do. There are studies that have also shown who ejaculate more regularly and we're not jumping to the you know, five times a day thing, just to clarify, but men that ejaculate like every day or every other day are better off with sperm quality than men that ejaculate once every two weeks. Completely. And I'm, I'm glad you talked all about that stuff about guys because there's also prenatals now for men, right? So Absolutely. diet's really important, but making sure you're getting enough nutrition. And there's some great brands that are making male-focused supplements now that I, I really wow. like because I think it's bringing awareness to it, but it's also helping, right? The nutrients we put in from food and supplements really matter and the quality matters, everything that you said about that. There are supplements that I really like. They're all over my social media challenges, but for example, CoQ10, which is the strongest antioxidant available in the world right now, the purest form of it, which is called ubiquinol, has been shown. When women take 600 milligrams of ubiquinol a day, it slows down the oxidative damage to cells of their body, including the cells of the eggs. And oxidative damage is the aging process of all of our eggs. So that's very helpful for women. If they're going to, you should be taking that long term until you are done with your reproductive years. It also helps all the other cells of your body as well. Men have been shown to improve after taking 200 milligrams of CoQ10, and I would still recommend the pure form called ubiquinol for men as well. Should I be taking this even though I don't, I'm not trying to get pregnant? Well, there are benefits. I don't know if you need to take as high as 600 milligrams of ubiquinol CoQ10 a day, but it is a supplement that really can help the body in general. Um, and it keeps your cells alive and more reactive than normal, which is great. I, unfortunately, one of those people that if I take one, like I have a really hard time falling asleep. It really wires me. So you should try different brands until you can find one that works for you. But it's definitely a supplement that has value. And I would it put it really high on your list of supplements. I would love to get wired. <laughs> like I'm so tired all the time. I think between the three of us, we have eight kids I calculated while I was looking here. So yeah, this is a very tired group of people right now. <laughs> I was also counting down in my head. I was like, Haley's going to say that she wants to be wired. <laughs> you knew it. <laughs> I Bring knew that was coming. Bring it on. All right, let's get into egg freezing. Obviously, I said I regret that I didn't uh, freeze my eggs. But something that I that I think about it is that there's not enough transparency, I think, about the cost of freezing eggs. So something that happened to me, which feels very unfair, but I'm sure a lot of people are in the same situation, which is if I could have frozen my eggs before I started chemotherapy, that would have been covered by insurance. But because the fact that I was too sick and that wasn't possible and I had to do it after 
chemo or possibly could do it after chemo. I still don't know if I can. Insurance doesn't cover it now. And so I think a lot of people are in this situation where they're like, I might want to freeze my eggs. It sounds really great. But part of the reason why I might not want to go down this path is I have no idea how much it's going to cost and if there's any sort of financial assistance or anything that can help out. So when should we do that? You know, what age would be the best? And then financing of it. How does that work? That's a great question. And there are a lot of myths involved with this. So there is financing involved. And we have, we talked to a financing partner of ours that allowed the egg freezing to come down to like $160 a month, which is unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable. Yeah, wow. it's great. I mean, it makes it pretty much doable for everyone. We also, as a result of the pandemic and wanting to build our practice back up again, and so many people terrified to you know, do things, made some great specials. Like we were bringing down the egg freezing down to $6,400, which we were like around 10,000 before. So that does not include medications. But I, I tell women all the time, you know, lots of people are moving around with their jobs and the job market is hot and every company is looking for talent. Try to find one with a bigger company that does cover it. Make sure that you're looking at that as a reproductive age woman who has not froze her eggs, you should be looking for a job that covers fertility benefits. And lots of employers are now offering that. A lot of the tech ones, a lot of the ones in entertainment like Disney and Netflix, and I say this all the time, like a lot of these people have coverage of up to $75,000 through a program called Carrot, and it's unbelievable. But with that, you can look for specials, you can look for packages. We have a special that if you do it with one friend, you both get a discount if, because we realize when people are doing it alone, for many people, it's very challenging. But I noticed people came in as friends and I'm like, that's amazing. They loved it. And they were doing it with each other. And it became like this thing with for them. So we have another special that if you do it three of you together, we even give you a bigger discount. It's like just trying to do anything to make it more accessible for people. But there are financing options. There are loans you can take. There are things you should do. You cannot wait till you're 45 years old and figure this out. That's, that's so helpful. So any friends out there that want to freeze their eggs with me, if, if I have any eggs, holler so I can get a discount. You know, I did want to um, jump in and ask a question. So uh, we do have patients yeah. sometimes that cannot wait because of what's going on with cancers. But and we do a lot of oncofertility in our practice, a lot. Very few people do we, we can't get in like the month before. But for some people that had to get chemo, we've even offered it to them like after one session of chemo. So there's not a continuous damage of more and more and more chemo. Did you ever think about yeah. doing that? I mean, even though it may- Yeah. No, that, that's such a good question. So my husband is a physician. So I felt lucky during the situation because I could just cry and say, I really, really need my eggs frozen. Please, please make this happen. I will do anything to make this happen. I mean, I remember even having a drain out of my heart after that first round of chemo being like, guys, can we revisit this? I can do this. Like I can do this both at the same time. My cancer was too advanced and my RE POC had to be every other week. I was on an every other week virtual oh, okay. regimen for seven cycles. So, and it was a week long chemo infusion. So for many situations, especially breast cancer, specifically a lot of the chemos that are there, but with mine, it was just, it just wasn't possible. But for a lot of people, that's a really good question to ask. Thank you. You can freeze your eggs and you can also freeze embryos. And I don't think that's talked about enough. What is, what do you recommend? If freezing your eggs, freezing embryos, kind of what's the best thing with that? I want to explain what the difference is because many people don't understand what an embryo is. So when you freeze Please. your eggs, it's usually someone who does not have a male partner or wanting to use donor sperm to fertilize it and make an embryo. 
So we freeze an egg mostly for single women that are waiting for Mr. Right or the right opportunity to move forward with the donor sperm or whatever it is in their life. And an embryo is more for people that are in a completely committed relationship. So I always ask patients, are you guys 99.9% sure you're going to have kids with each other? And I, they say yes. And I'm like, well, you can't do it until you're 100% sure. That point, 1% is a problem for people. Okay, so unless you know 100% you are having kids with each other and with no one else, then that's when you put an egg and a sperm together and create an embryo. And the benefit of creating the embryo is that you're able to allow the embryo to grow for one week. And an embryo that grows to the full-grown stage called the blastocyst is able to have a tiny little biopsy from the outside of it, not from the inside where the fetal tissues are. And then we freeze those embryos. And within two weeks, we get the results of which embryos are genetically healthy and which ones are not. So at that time, you will know how many genetically healthy, normal embryos you have waiting there for you. And those are, our statistics are based on those embryos. And those are the ones that we have about in the high 70s, early 80s chance of implantation. When you have an egg, you have no idea if that's going to make a healthy embryo or not. And so it's hard to give a statistic there. That makes so much sense. Yeah, that's fascinating. I feel like I don't know anything about this entire process. And I'm, I'm just now learning about it just through friends. And I'm actually an IU baby, IUI baby myself. And I can't believe I don't know the difference between like IUI and IVF. And it's so weird that I'm now just learning about this. And I didn't ask my parents all these questions. But, you know, my generation was very much like your parents don't talk about things like everything gets swept under the rug. And you definitely don't talk about uncomfortable things like IUI. I just knew that I was IUI. So, <laughs> what yeah, I just, you the, know what, I, I one day want to like just go to my dad and be like, you know, the birds and the bees talk is a good thing, okay? Why didn't we have that? So I am all about you educate kids before things happen to them and they know what's going on. But IUI, intrauterine insemination, is the process where we either give the woman like a medicine to help her ovulate better or maybe just at the right time of ovulation. We take the sperm, we wash it up, we put it into a tiny little catheter, and then we inject it into the uterus. And that's the intrauterine insemination process. The sperm goes up into the uterus, the egg is released, everything happens inside of the female. The IVF process is called in vitro fertilization. The word in vitro means outside of the body. So it's outside of the body fertilization where we take the eggs out of the female, put it with a sperm in a laboratory environment, let them grow in an incubator, and then make an embryo. And then the embryo is put back vaginally through the cervix up into the uterus, but it's already been created outside of the human body. So those are the two mm. differences of IUI versus IVF. Their success rates are about almost 10 times different. IUI success rates you know, range between zero to 20% success. And IVF success rates can be as high as like 80%. Wow. It's wow. pretty remarkable, Haley, that you... So I'm pretty uh, lucky to be here? Yeah. Wow. I'm so thankful that for that IUI, however many years ago. <laughs> See, if someone would have done an IUI for me, maybe I would have had a co-host as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. 
<laughs> there you there you go. IVF, just the basics of it. I don't think that enough people know. So like you you get an embryo. Okay, your embryo is ready. Then what can someone expect between but, kind of medications in the simplest form? What happens? So let's talk about how you make an embryo because I have people that call me and literally they told me, oh, I thought it's going to take a year to make an embryo. So the way that an mm-hmm. IVF cycle starts is you call us with your period. You come in on day two or three or four of your period. And you have two ways of starting. One is we put you on a birth control pill for a week or two to stop your natural ovulation. Or you call us on day one, you come in on day two. If everything looks good and you're ready, on day three, you just begin the injections without doing the birth control. And that's for about 10 to 12 days of injections, whichever route you take. The injections are pituitary gland stimulants. So they give a signal in your brain to signal your ovary. Your ovary makes its hormones. And as a result of making those hormones, you now have a robust growth of eggs by the estrogen that your body makes being the fuel for them. So instead of making one egg a month, like you normally do, these medications allow you to make two, three, four, 20, 30 eggs, depending on how young and healthy you are and what the doses of medicine is. You make those eggs, and then those eggs after about 10 to 12 days of those injections are ready to come out of your body. During those 10 to 12 days, you generally come into the office maybe three or four times. We do blood tests to check to see how your hormone levels are going up. We also check the ultrasound to see how these little bubbles are growing on the egg, on the ovary, which is called the follicle. Those follicles are the casing for an egg. So as they get to a size around 20 millimeters, we know that the egg inside of them are going to be mature and those eggs are ready to come out. It's about a three to five minute procedure under anesthesia. The anesthesia is just a light sedation where you fall asleep and you wake up and it's all done. And that's done in our surgery center, which is attached to our IVF lab. So as the eggs come out of this special needle that goes into the ovary that kind of helps you retrieve the eggs, we pass them in a test tube to the IVF lab. And then all the magic of putting the egg and the sperm together and letting them grow as embryos happens inside of the IVF lab. And that's when you watch the embryos grow for about five to seven days. And the embryos that grow beautifully, like I said earlier, get frozen and get biopsied. And then within two weeks, we tell you how many of your embryos are normal, how many are abnormal. And we can also tell you the genders if you want to know. That's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. And I'm so So grateful that there are humans like you in this world doing this because it is true miracle work. And you give hope to so many people that don't have hope. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for that. My last question I have for you is just a quick thing. I know that I think with egg freezing and embryo freezing, the cost is really transparent. With IVF, it's a little harder because you don't know, is it going to be cycle one? Is it going to take a couple times? Anything like that. Is there any financial assistance for someone going through that? And is there kind of any kind of ballpark estimate if someone's saying, I need to start saving money because I need to do IVF, how much can I even expect? So- We have gotten very creative in my practice. We have packages that include everything. We have this package, it's called the GEM package, I think it's called, and it includes everything. It's basically $25,000. It's really difficult to be able to do this for less. If you're going somewhere that it's much less than that, be very careful what you're getting. I remember hearing from a patient, yeah, I went to this clinic, it was three tries for $10,000. Well, guess what? They did three tries and now they're in my office because not any of them worked. So... In the world of fertility, I think you do this at the best place you can find, not the cheapest place you can find. If you want to buy a sweatshirt, you should look for the cheapest place to find that sweatshirt, but not when it comes to this. You want to do this at the best place you can do it. And at the same time, the same financing companies that help you with egg freezing are able to help with IVF as well. And 
you must be smart when picking a job and try to find one, again, that has fertility coverage as one of their benefits. So those are all things that you can do to make this more doable. Well, Dr. Kadir, we adore you. We are so excited that you're here. We're definitely having you back on the podcast because we probably have so many more questions and you are incredible. And thank you for doing all this work and spreading knowledge because so many more people are going to be so much more informed because of you. It has been an absolute pleasure being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. It'd mean the world to us if you'd take a second to rate, review, and follow the show and tell your friends about it. It's the best way to support the show. And if you have any questions you want us to cover on the show, call our voicemail line at 866-444-FULL. We want to hear from you. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com for resources, courses, and to shop our favorites. Can't wait to see you next week. 